Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Nucleus Investment Insights. Today's episode is called The Property Recession of 2023. On the agenda, we'll look at the sharpest interest rate hikes in history and the stress this is putting on households. Then we'll examine the corresponding house price falls across the capital cities and what's likely to come next year. Next, we'll look at the outlook for 2023 in terms of the Australian consumer, inflation and growth. Lastly, we'll explore the immigration floodgates that have been opened and the effect this will have on the labour market, wages and the overall economy. Today, I want to welcome Leith Van Onselen, who is Nucleus Wealth's Chief Economist and also goes by the alias of the Unconventional Economist. Leith, welcome. G'day, Sam. Hello, everybody. Happy New Year, almost. Almost, yeah. We've almost almost wrapped the year up. Uh, I bet, bet you're looking forward to a break. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah it's going to be great. Uh, my name's Sam Kerr. I'm the Senior Financial Advisor at Nucleus Wealth. I just want to let you know that Damien is away on holiday this week. I'm sure he'll be catching a few waves and enjoying some well-deserved time with his family, but he will be back on the podcast next week. For those listeners that don't know, Nucleus Wealth is an Australian active and passive investment manager. We're a global macro investment house and use the insights shared in this podcast to construct and manage our active portfolios. We're also the first to offer passive direct indexing in Australia, which has been labelled ETFs 2.0, as you can customise your chosen index with around 50 different ethical sector and assets class screens that we have on offer across all the portfolios. Just a quick housekeeping reminder, if you enjoy our content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and click the bell below to be notified when we go live or have a new episode recorded. We are live every Thursday at 12.30 Sydney Melbourne time. So jump onto the Nucleus Wealth YouTube channel and you can ask any questions that come to mind and we'll do the best to answer them during the show. You can also follow us on your preferred podcast platform as our show is available on all the majors. And if you'd like to look at the slides in more detail, we'll post them in the show notes this afternoon and you can view these at nucleuswealth.com forward slash webinars. So now we've got that housekeeping out of the way, Leith, I'll uh, hand it over to you to, to get the ball rolling. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Um, today's discussion is pretty much based on uh, on a Christmas special report that's just been put up on Macro Business this week, um, which is titled the same, uh, The Property Recession of 2023. And basically the purpose of these sort of Christmas special report, re reports that we do every year is to sort of look 12 months ahead um, at what we think is going to happen to the economy. Now, obviously, last year's, um, I think last year's report was uh, tipping a, you know, pretty decent rebound in the Australian economy, uh, which obviously was, uh, was, was completely decimated by, um, you know, Russia's invasion of uh, Ukraine, uh, which has obviously set all central banks alight and, um, you know, led to the biggest synchronised rise in interest rates in just about uh, the world's history, or at least in modern history. Um, which scuttled things, although there were a few things we uh, we mentioned in last year's report that, is, that, that have sort of come to fruition now. We did warn that um, we actually told that, that report uh, Australia's new lost decade, I think it was, and that was warning that basically if the, um, if the federal government opens the immigration floodgates again like it did pre-pandemic, well, then we're going to get a similar result of basically stagnating growth per capita uh, falling living standards, you know, crush loaded wage growth, et cetera. And the, we basically have repeated what happened last decade where um, 
the, the economy grew, but everyone's slice of the economic pie didn't grow much. Uh, and I think we've got the uh, the hallmarks of that happening all over again, which we can obviously discuss later on today uh, with respect to the immigration question. Um, now, basically, when it comes to the Australian economy uh, and its outlook for 2023, there's really only one thing you need to look at. Uh, you know, we've got, there's basically four drivers of the economy. You've got government spending, you've got business investment, you've got dwelling investment, which is building houses, et cetera. But the biggest one of all is consumer spending. Um, now, household consumption makes up 55% of the nation's growth on average every quarter. So pretty much where household consumption goes, the economy goes. And it's telling that although the economy, Australia's economy grew by you know, nearly 6% in the year to September, according to the data released this month by the Australian Bureau of Statistics, 90% of that growth was from household consumption, um, which is the obviously the the, the post-lockdown um, binge from consumers. The problem with it is, is um, GDP and so the, the same with employment, which is currently at a, unemployment, which is currently at a 44-year 40, low or 48-year low, is that they're both backward-looking indicators. And we've just seen the Reserve Bank of Australia obviously lift interest rates by 3% since May. And the Reserve Bank of Australia has effectively unwound 10 years of interest rate cuts in just seven calendar months. And what this means for the consumer going forward is that mortgage interest payments have, have basically rocketed. Um, so if you're at a variable rate mortgage, you've already seen your mortgage repayments rise by about 42% once December's rate rises eventually pass through, it takes a few months. And then on top of that, we had uh, nearly half the loans that were undertaken during the pandemic, half the mortgages, were at fixed rates of around 2%. And about one quarter of all loans by value in 2023 are going to reset to rates that are more than double what they were when they were taken out during the pandemic. So I guess the, the key thesis here is that the Australian consumer is going to get smashed in 2023 and that's going to hammer household consumption and also push, obviously, hammer Australia's economic growth. Now, the big question is, oh, will Australia fall into recession? I, I think economists around the world are pretty are in you know, pretty strong agreement that we're going to have a global recession next year because of all this you know, joint synchronised central bank tightening. Um, around 70% of economists think the US economy is going to fall into a recession. Um, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand tips that New Zealand's going to fall into a recession next year. Uh, so its own central bank has tipped that. Got similar in Canada. Um, the UK is already in recession. So we're sort of looking at a global recession next year. And it makes you wonder, well, is Australia going to go down the same road? Um, my argument is that no, we won't, purely because the federal government has opened the immigration floodgates and we're looking at the biggest intake of migrants in this nation's history next year. I'm tipping anywhere between 400,000 and 500,000, um, you know, population growth of up to about 2%. And if you have all these inputs in people coming into your economy, that's going to increase your GDP. And that's going to make it very hard for the Australia to have a recession, even if you know these these other in, uh, these other factors go turn you know head down if household consumption falls. But what it will mean is that we're very likely to get a decent rise in unemployment next year, and we're likely to have negative per capita growth. So once you spread the growing economic pie amongst, you know, obviously two percent more people, it's probably what we're going to get. Um, everyone's going to be going backwards. 
So it's going. So I'm, I'm tipping a per capita recession next year, while the world has a, uh, while the globe, while the world as a whole has a technical recession, where actual economic growth goes backwards. And the difference is Australia's obviously. Well, the, the key difference is we're running this mass population growth policy, whereas most other economies aren't. And also, we are fortunate in that we're more insulated from the uh, from the global energy shock than you know, say places like Europe. Um, so that's that. That's basically the report in a nutshell. Now, Sam, I don't know if you want to dive into some of these charts that I've. Uh, I've yeah, just just uh, before we jump into the charts, you mentioned a technical recession. So that's two quarters of negative GDP growth. Uh, yeah. But do you mind uh, do you mind explaining what a per capita recession is and, and how that's different? Yeah, so it's basically the same, except um, so a technical recession. So basically, when, when you measure the economy and you measure GDP, you just measure the economy's total output. And whereas per capita is basically the economy's total output divided by the number of people. So if you're running really high population growth, uh, you can have, say, negative. So everyone in the economy can basically contribute the same amount. But if you have more people, the economy is going to grow. But once you split that pie, so if you've got a growing pie and you've got to split it amongst more people, the pie might have grown, but everyone's share of the pie is going to be negative. So effectively, Australia, I think, is going to avoid a recession purely because we're growing so quickly in population growth for immigration. But once you actually divvy that economic pie up amongst more people, everyone's slice of the pie is going to go backwards. And this is actually pretty common because despite the fact that, you know, Australia was held up as an economic miracle before COVID, we kept, you know, arguing, oh, we haven't had a recession in 20 years, blah, 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 Australia's the best. When you actually... Um, take out the fact that we had really high population growth through immigration and most other countries didn't, once you actually adjust the growth for population growth, we had multiple recessions. So we've had this situation where the primary driver of the economy um, has been population growth. And once you take away that population growth, we've actually had multiple recessions and I think we're going to have another one next year. It's just that this strong population growth through immigration is going to basically paper over the cracks and make it look like the economy is still growing when, in fact, everyone's going backwards. Okay, yeah. So it sounds like there's there's a lot of headwinds ahead of us. And, um, yeah, I mean, on on paper, you know, the, the RBA or the government, they use the uh, technical recession indicator, but they, they don't really speak that much about the per capita, uh, do they? Because it doesn't, doesn't look as no. good. And, and it's interesting, a lot of the forecasts for next year's uh, economic growth for Australia are 1.5% GDP growth. But the thing is, we're probably going to have 2% population growth. So that in itself means we're going to be going backwards per capita. So the economy is going to grow 1.5%, but the population is going to grow to grow 2%, which means that effectively per head, we're going to go backwards half a percent. That's just based on those forecasts. Um, now, the population growth forecast is my forecast. It's not actually... The official treasury forecast is more like about one and a half percent population growth, but all the visa indicators and everything, um, like all, all, all the sort of high frequency visa data that's coming through at the moment is showing that immigration is rebounding way faster than what the budget expects. Um, even the net overseas migration in the 2021-22 calendar year, so it's only current to June, has already smashed the budget's forecast for this for um, last last financial year. So we're, uh, population growth is already running ahead of the Treasury's forecast, and I think it's going to absolutely boom to unprecedented proportions next year because we're seeing an absolutely enormous rebound in international students. Um, the, 
the Albanese government's basically offered all these migration carrots, incentives, etc. So um, we lost migrants over the pandemic. I think, they th I think they're going to come back at a rate of knots in 2023, and that's going to drive up the population to unbelievable portions. Um, so Australia's net overseas migration has never been more than 310,000. It hit 310,000 in 2009. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm tipping four to 500,000 next year. Uh, unprecedented. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's huge. And uh, is, uh, when you said the lost decade, is that what you mean? You know, there's we're getting growth through just uh, sheer know, population growth, yeah, rather than productivity or... Yeah, so 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 basically the um, the pre-COVID uh, decade, so 2010 through to 2020, effectively we saw uh, per capita GDP growth of about one percent per annum on average, which is so far below historical averages. It's not funny, and that, and that might you might think, oh, that, that's still growth, but GDP doesn't. There's a lot of lot it doesn't measure, and um, you know, so basically, I mean, we had multiple per capita recessions in that time which was like two consecutive quarters of negative per capita growth. Um, but then when you also factor in uh, the fact that, you know, wages grew terribly. Um, so we had, you know, negative, well, real real wage growth was negligible, if anything. And then all the other sort of downsides you get from strong population growth, whether that's, you know, increasing congestion, uh, all, all the sort of livability indicators. It was like, it, it, it's what I described as a lost decade, where basically living standards didn't improve for the whole decade. And I think we're going to we're facing a repeat this year, uh, this decade. Um, could arguably be worse. Like it started off better because we got the rebound out of COVID, um, but the fact that we're going to have even stronger population growth, and obviously the you know headwinds from higher structural interest rates and um, blah blah blah, and higher higher probably energy costs going forward, etc. It's going to be a you know it's a pretty dismal decade I think coming up. Um, so we might we 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 you know we'll probably have uh, the economy will grow. Um, but the per person outcome is going to be pretty terrible again, I think. Okay, okay. Well, that's that's a good summary. Uh, let's jump into a couple of these slides and and have a look in at the detail. Yeah, for sure. Now, I I can't see them on the screen. You might have to. Is it possible to bring them up? Um, yeah, I've I've got them on the screen at the moment. We've got the central bank monetary tightening at the moment. Okay, I can't see. That's all right. I'll um, yeah. So I'll, I've got it. I've got it. Uh, I've got a separate copy of my own. So basically, this first chart just basically tracks the um, the the interest rate rates, the synchronized rate hikes from a select group of you know developed countries, and you can see Australia is actually lagging you know fair way behind. So so our cash rate is currently three point one percent, whereas it's over four in uh, the US and Canada, and New Zealand's actually leading the pack at four point two five, and the UK is at you know. Uh, just under four. Uh, Euros started late, but it's starting to pick up. Now, the difference is, though, Australia is actually way more sensitive to interest rate rises than just about any other country on earth. And that's because we've got the second highest household debt on debt on the planet um, after Switzerland. And also we have an incredibly high share of, um, of floating rate mortgages. So most, most economies around the world, their mortgage markets, predominantly fixed rate mortgages. So Sam, you're from New Zealand, and basically 80% of your mortgages in New Zealand are fixed rate, but they're, they're, they're short-term fixed rates, anything from between you know one one to three years. Whereas in Australia, um, up until the pandemic, literally 85% of mortgages are taken out with floating. Um, in that sort of 20, 
21 year before the rate rises, the share of fixed rate mortgages went up to 45%, uh, which means 55% were floating. So that was an anomaly. But even without that, Australia has a very high share of um, of floating rate mortgages. And what this means is that we're obviously way, uh, any increase in interest rates by the central bank hits Australians harder and quicker than just about any other country on earth because we, we, we hold such high amount of debt and because um, it goes into our mortgages so quickly. Whereas, you know, if you want to take the polar opposite of that, uh, in the United States, the overwhelming majority of mortgages are on sort of uh, uh, 25 year fixed rate mortgages. So that, so if you've got a mortgage in the US and the, the, the Fed um, jacks up interest rates, most people aren't even affected. Um, yeah, it's just, just affecting new buyers, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's new buyers. Or it also means that you can't refinance. So uh, the US is kind of like a, it's like a Fred, uh, well, yeah, that was called the Fed put, whatever, but it's almost like that with mortgages. So if the Fed cuts rates and you're on like a higher, fixed rate 25 year mortgage, people just refinance down to, to a lower rate and they keep doing that. But then when rates rise, they just stick with the mortgage they got because it's good for another 25 years or 24 years, whatever it is. So the US household, um, they, 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 they carry about half the household debt that Australia does anyway. And on top of that, they're barely impacted by the rate rises um, to anywhere near the same extent as Australia. It's because we've got carrying way more debt. And as soon as the RBA hikes rates, you get a um, you know, I've experienced this myself, got a mortgage like most people. And the RBA heights rake, heights rakes. Later in the month, you get a message from your lender saying your, your interest rate's going up and then it takes an effect, you know, the next month. So it's usually this like six-week to three-month lag, depending on who the lender is, between the, when the RBA hikes rates. If you're on a variable rate mortgage, it's flowing through to your mortgages. So, um, so Australians are incredibly sensitive. So, you know, Yes, the Reserve Bank hasn't been as aggressive, but it's also, it also doesn't need to be to have more bang for its buck because of the, uh, the structure of our economy. And uh, if you just uh, skip to the next bit on the, um, on the household consumption, um, basically the, the, these two sort of charts sort of show how household consumption is the thing to watch when it comes to the economy. So um, I've got a chart here which basically tracks the contributors to growth and um, I've used final demand. So final demand is basically gross domestic domestic product, but not not including net exports because uh, so it's basically just tracks um, the demand in the economy. And as I said earlier, household spending or household consumption accounts for fifty percent of fifty five percent of growth on average in a typical quarter. But in the most recent year, year to September, it drove ninety five percent of final demand growth. So it was all about consumption which is that blue bar there, is the household consumption. But if you, if you flick across the quarterly growth, um, I've plotted final demand against household consumption. You see that final demand just pretty much follows consumption. So when, when household consumption goes up, final demand and GDP go up. When household consumption falls, final demand and GDP fall, growth fall. And this is important because once you look, through, look at the economy through that, you pretty much can ignore, I mean, you can largely ignore all the other factors and just focus on consumption if you want to see which way the economy is going to go. And it's important at the moment, obviously, because the RBA is raising rates primarily to temper household consumption because that, that's its main impact. If you raise mortgage, if you raise interest rates, it flows on the mortgages and then that dampens consumption. So people have got to spend more on the mortgage means they've got less money to spend on retail and all the other stuff. So th this is why 
when you look at the economy in 2023, you really just want to look at household consumption as the key driver. <coughs> and, and the way that population growth flows into this in immigration is obviously if you've got more people, that's more consumers. Um, so other things equal, if you grow the population by 2%, you're going to grow consumption by 2%. And you're going to grow the economy by two percent because they'll spend on all the other stuff as well. They'll, you know, buy a house and you'll get more housing construction, etc. So, just growing the population on its own grows the economy. Um, but obviously, you know, when you're looking at per capita outcomes, um, you've got to uh, take a, um, take into consideration that population growth. Yeah, now, sure, sure. There's going to be population growth next year, but I think the the outcome on consumers with the rise in interest rates and you know all these people coming off all the mortgage holders coming off fixed rate mortgages onto variable, you know, I think that's going to be a far greater impact than uh, than uh, the population growth alone. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so look, the, the the economy is going to slow no matter what next year. It's going to slow pretty hard, but. I just think they're, they're obviously if you're going to add two two percent of people more to the population, it makes it harder to have a recession um, sure. purely because because it, it means it, it means the GDP has got to fall by more than two percent um, to have a recession. So so you know even if the um, so even if uh, even if economic growth as is tipped falls to one and a half percent. Uh, and you got two percent population growth. Well, that's still growth, but obviously everyone's share of the pie is falling by half a percent, so everyone's worse off. But yeah, th th it's basically again, it's it's the main reason why the Australian economy outperformed in the previous decade was because we ran a really high population growth policy, whereas most other nations around the world, New Zealand's an, uh, an exception, um, they sort of ran similar growth rates to us. But most other advanced economies around the world, so for example, the OECD average. Um, you know, population growth was about 0.4% per annum, whereas we were running at, you know, or I think actually might have been, uh, yeah, about half a percent, whereas Australia in the last decade was averaging closer to sort of one and a half percent for a lot of it. So, you know, we're, we're, we're running population growth about triple the OECD average, which is one of the reasons why the economy outperformed because we had so many more people coming in and more inputs in people means more outputs in GDP. Um, so I think you know, I think we're going to repeat that again, and it's one of the reasons why I think the Australian economy is going to outperform next year because we're running such high population growth. And and also we, we we do have natural advantages in that we're not we're not as impacted by the energy crisis as other places, especially now the the government's at least putting some price caps on you know coal and gas. Um, yeah. Now I've done some done some charts just showing the uh, the whole interest rate situation. Um. I've got one here in the bank. So, so this this basically tracks the uh, increases in the cash rate since May and the discount variable mortgage rate. So, the discount variable mortgage rate is basically published by the Reserve Bank of Australia every month, and it effect effectively takes it, it takes the average uh, variable mortgage rate across all loans in Australia. So, obviously, if you're you're someone uh, who's uh, taken out a new mortgage and you're a decent credit risk, whatever, you can probably get below this rate. But this is just a gauge of what the average discount variable mortgage rate is across the entire country. So it's not exactly so, you know, someone reading this might go, oh, I can get lower than 6.45%. Yeah, you probably can. But but there are, you know, there's often people already paying off mortgages who are lazy or whatever, or they don't know that if they refinance, they can get a bill, better deal. So they're stuck paying higher rates. But uh, irrespective, um, 
you know, we've seen the discount variable mortgage rate, the average discount variable mortgage rate rise from 3.45% um, at the end of April this year to 6.45% as of the December rate hike. So that's obviously three base, 300 basis points, 3% of rate rise in just seven calendar months. Now, as, as that chart shows, that's basically taken us back to um, April 2012 levels of mortgage rates. So the Reserve Bank spent a, spent a decade cutting interest rates, well, actually more than a decade, but um, the last decade has cut interest rates really hard and it's unwound all those cuts in just seven calendar months. Now, that, that's, the, that's the biggest rate of increase of interest rates ever, um, especially it's come from such a low base. Um, you know, I think in the early 90s, we had a similar 3% increase, but that was off interest rates that started way higher. So, you know, if you look at it in terms of, you know, it's a 3% rise, but it's come off such a low level that um, the percentage change is, is massive. And what this has done, now I've got a, I've got a, um, a mortgage repayments uh, table there. What I've done is I've basically put in three different mortgage sizes, so 500000 750000 a million dollars, and plugged the changes in the discount variable mortgage rate um, into a mortgage calculator. You can see that the average increase in variable mortgage repayments in just seven months is 41%. So effectively, you know, if you're on a $500,000 mortgage, you're paying $900 a month more, roughly, in mortgage repayments than you were in April. Now, this is important for household consumption because obviously if you're on a mortgage, you've got a mortgage and you're paying, you know, nearly $900 a month extra on your mortgage. Well, that's 900 bucks you got that you can't spend on, you know, retail, um, cafes, blah, 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 or, or all the other stuff you spend your money on. And that's necessarily going to, hammer household consumption. And according to the Reserve Bank of Australia's own research, uh, which is the another chart I've got here, which I actually took from the the, the RBA, uh, the sorry, AFR posted it. Um, the ratio of mortgage repayments to household income after the 3% cash rate increase is going to hit its highest ever level, equal highest ever level. And what that means is most people are tipping that the um, that the Reserve Bank's going to increase rates further. So whether it's one more increase, which is what AMP and CBA predict, or a few more increases, basically Australia's, Australia's um, mortgage repayments to income are about to be the highest they've ever been. So higher than 2008, which was the previous peak, way higher than the early 90s when interest rates hit 17%. Um, so effectively we're facing a you know situation where households are going to be, you know, having a big haircut. Households with the mortgage, that is. They're going to have a very big haircut. And I didn't include in this, uh, this this little chart pack here, but also we've got rents rising at a record pace. So rents nationally are increasing at double-digit rates, whether, you, you know, no matter which data provider you use, whether it's CoreLogic, Australian Pro, uh, Domain, or SQM Research, they're all showing double-digit rental rises. Now, that uh, rental increase to a renter is like a mortgage increase a mortgage uh, interest rate increase to a mortgage holder. It's the same thing. You're effectively spend if so if you spend more on mortgages, you spend more on your rents, you've got less money to spend elsewhere on consumption. So either is going to hammer hammer your uh, your consumption spending. So you know it's a pretty bleak, bleak picture. Um 
Yeah, I mean, uh, forty-one percent, Leith. That's that's a huge increase, and I mean, that's most people's largest expense anyway. And uh, to increase that by forty percent, uh, you know, and you say rents are rising at double digits as well. You know, the the only uh, well, it's just going to happen that there's going to be that contraction. You know, yeah. people are going to be spending more on their mortgages. Uh, and, uh, you know, less available cash to spend on other things like retail, you said, and then maybe they'll lay up, lay people off and then they'll stop spending as much as well. And, yeah, just it's going to flow through the economy. And, oh, you know, totally. Well, and, and actually, Sam, I put a, um, I put a table up of, um, of the different interest rate forecasts. Um, yeah. So, it, so it's basically the same, the same chart, same table, except um, this one shows, you know, what the mortgage repayments will be based on the various forecasts. So you've got CBA's forecast. So CBA is the most sort of dovish of all the, of the big four banks. Um, and I, 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 I didn't put AMP there, but AMP is also in that, that has the same forecast. So CBA and AMP tip only one more rate rise. And that would take mortgage repayments 45% above their April 2020, uh, 2022 levels. But then you've got NAB in the financial markets uh, tipping um, another rate rise after that. So that'd be 48% above. And then you've got ANZ and Westpac who are tipping another interest rate rise. So effectively, um, you know, at the low end, we're looking at a 45% increase in mortgage repayments. And at the high end, if you, you know, if you th think of ANZ or Westpac as the high end, well, that's 52%. So either way, you, uh, households are facing a huge reduction in their disposable income if you've got a mortgage. And again, if you're a renter, you're also getting your disposable income trashed as well because you're paying way more in rents. So it's kind of this, you know, it's a pretty nasty situation. And there's another fly in the ointment. Um, although I did say, I'm sort of going to contradict myself a bit here, but I said that Australia is the most sensitive in the world to interest rate rises. But in some ways, we've been um, we've been partially insulated this over the last seven or eight months because we had this anomaly over the pandemic where um fixed rate mortgages i've got a chart here of fixed rate mortgage lending which kind of explains the picture uh fixed rate mortgage lending was historically about 15 percent of total mortgage lending in australia and then over 2000 over 2020 and 2021 it actually rose quite dramatically and that's because the reserve bank bought in this thing called the term funding facility where it basically uh lent banks ultra ultra cheap money which the banks then used to push down fixed mortgage rates. And fixed mortgage rates fell to about 2% um, for, you know, th for for one and um, for mortgage rates less than three years and also for greater than three years. And what that did was it, it led to this fixed rate mortgage boom. So at its peak in um, sort of mid, mid to late 2021, there was a record 46% of the mortgage lending was fixed, which Australia's never seen before. As I said before, usually it's 15%. And what that's meant is that, you know, nearly half of all mortgages, mortgage holders who took out loans over those over the pandemic period, so a third to a half, um, have been insulated so far from the rate rises. The problem is that nearly one in four by value, actually 23% of mortgages by value in Australia, are going to switch next year from these ultra low 2% roughly fixed rates to rates that are, you know, 5 or 6%. So well over double those levels. And so it's a double, it's a double edged sword. You've got, 
the variable rate mortgage holders are going to get hammered even more, and they already are getting hammered. And then you're going to add this, you know, one in four mortgage holders roughly that are then going to revert from these ultra cheap fixed rates. And, and, and those people are currently insulated to these, you know, rates that are more than double what they're paying. And that's going to smash household consumption even more. So even if the Reserve Bank of Australia doesn't raise rates any further than they have, we're going to get this significant monetary tight in next year anyway, because so many fixed rate mortgage holders are going to suddenly revert to variable. And New Zealand's going to have the same problem. So I, I know this is about Australia, but as I said earlier, New Zealand's got a sort of uh, short-term fixed rate mortgage structure and, and half of the mortgages in New Zealand are, uh, are going to experience the same thing next year um, because they're going to, you know, they're going to have these, uh, the people that took out mortgages over 2020 are going to suddenly revert to, um, to these much higher rates. So it's a problem for Australia and New Zealand. And it's interesting because recent RBA modelling said that um, if the cash rate hits three and a half percent, so we're not I mean, we're not far below that. We're three point one at the moment. So if we get one more rate rise, we'll be pretty close to that level. Fifteen percent of borrowers will have negative cash flow. So what the RBA measured was they measured um, your minimum mortgage repayment and your required spending on necessities. So they didn't. So they weren't looking at you know extra spending you make. And then they calculated these people's revenue, uh, their their income versus their expenses at at a cash rate of three and a half percent. And they found that fifteen percent of all borrowers are going to have negative cash flows, so they're effectively not going to be able to pay the bills. And that's according to the RBA's own modelling. So, you know, that we also face a prospect that a decent number of people, I don't know how many, are going to have to might, might be forced to sell their properties as well uh, because they can no longer afford to meet the repayments. But either way, it's pretty hard to imagine a situation where household consumption is not going to get smashed next year. And when that happens, it's obviously going to drag the economy down. Now, um, again, I don't think we'll get a recession just purely because we're going to have so many more people. So that's going to grow the pie, even though they've got these negative factors, but everyone's share of the pie is going to get hammered. And we're probably going to have another per capita recession. So it's effectively a recession. It doesn't matter. And we're going to have rising unemployment as well. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's a recession in all but name, um, and that's and that's all on the back. Well, pretty much all on the back of the RBA's aggressive tightening, and um, obviously the impact on consumers through these much higher debt repayments, and then as well as obviously you're going to have um, you know those who are renting paying so much more in their rents as well, which is going to smash household consumption. So that that's kind of the picture uh, in broad strokes of uh, how I see the Australian economy in 2023. Um, do you want to? Should we touch on the uh, on, on the immigration issue, which is which kind of plays into this as well? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's go to there in a sec. I, I mean, the forty uh, percent of fixed rate mortgages are coming off onto variable. You know, is is that that's going to have a huge impact? But is the bulk of that is that coming in twenty twenty three because of those yeah. sort of one year two year? So, so basically, it's, it's about two thirds of the um, of the fixed rate mortgages expire next year. Uh, so it's not all of them, um, but uh, by value, it's 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 one in four mortgages. Oh, sorry, it's about twenty three percent of all all mortgages um, are going to revalue, are going to re refinance from basically you know circa two percent rates to five or six percent. Yeah, so it's wow. you know it's nasty. Um, you know, and, and you can see by that fixed rate mortgage lending chart, there was a big sort of, 
I want to call it a bubble, but it was a big bulge in fixed rate lending over the pandemic. And that was purely because these rates got so cheap. You know, they went down mm-hmm. to 2%. And um, the the red and the green line there, um, those are actually a couple of months behind. So because the RBA only updates their fixed rate um, loan, their, their, their fixed loan rates uh, a couple of months later. So, so they only go back to, I think, uh, September. So they've gone up a fair bit since then as well. Um, but, you know, the... The, the, these borrowers are going to have the choice of either refinancing onto a variable rate, which is going to be probably close to 6%. Um, even though discount variable mortgage rates are already 6.45, you can get cheaper than that if you shop around. And if they want to go fixed, well, they're going to be get fixed in at probably 5% or above. So either way, they, you know, they're facing a big increase in mortgage repayments. Um, yeah, and, so it's and a big I shock. mean, it is, it is. And that combined with 15% of borrowers being... Uh, potentially in negative cash cash flow positions. I mean, uh, the logical sort of outcome is some people are going to be forced to sell their properties. Yeah, totally. A, a, a downward pressure on house prices again because, I mean, it's buyers that set the house price. Uh, and, yeah, it's, it's going to, you know, if, if people can't, uh, well, if people have got investment properties as well, and you know their repayments are suddenly a lot higher, sure, rents are going up, but not nearly at the rate of uh, interest rate rises. I mean, it's, yeah, it's just going to be it's going to be pretty interesting, shall we say, twenty twenty three. Yeah, and the interesting thing about the fixed rate mortgage lending is, and I, it's not included on this chart, but um, for, if you look at just first home buyers, two thirds of first home buyers uh, took out these cheap fixed rates. So the, 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 if, if I did a, a first home buyer line on this chart, it'd look almost identical, except it's, it's about um, 20% higher. So, you know, for the, for, for, the, for the overall mortgage market, it was 46% of mortgages were fixed um, at, at, at its peak. So it, it got to the higher 46%. For, for, for first home buyers, it got to 65%. And the reason why that's important is... Um, the fixed the, the the first home buyers are probably the most exposed to defaulting and getting into trouble. And you think about it, why? It's because they come in there with no equity in the house, um, because they're younger and you know don't have as much money behind them, and they're just scrounged up a deposit, etc. They tend to borrow much closer to the maximum that they can pay to to obviously try and get in the market. And we know there's a lot of fear of missing out during the pandemic. Like prices were rocketing, and people were yeah, there was a lot of panic buying. And I think those are the sorts of people who are going to get in the most trouble. So it's your first home buyer, and you know, as, as I just said, two thirds of them roughly took out these cheap fixed fixed loans, and they and they would have a lot of them would be negative equity as well. So if you think about it, if you bought in Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane in sort of the second half of twenty twenty one, you bought close to the peak, and since then your property would have fallen in value and you're probably in negative equity already. And if you're a first home buyer to do that, and you might have only had 10% deposit, whatever, um, and you've borrowed close to your maximum that you could that you could do. And 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 you 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 know you would have been assessed at a loan buffer of two and a half percent back then because uh, APRA didn't lift that until late last year. Um, and the RBA has increased by three percent already. So you're already above what they assessed your loan at. It sort of paints a pretty dire picture. So I think those are the sorts of people who could get into trouble and, and would have these negative cash flows and could be forced to sell. It's probably more likely to be your first home buyers. Um, 
those who are upgraders or you know second home buyers or investors like investors they can they can um some of them we get into trouble but they've obviously got tax deductible mortgage interest which helps um that rents are rising a lot uh, quickly so they're at least sort of got a bit of a buffer there but it's those first home buyers they've got nothing behind them um they would have had a high loan to value ratio loan and you know would have borrowed close to the max and they're going to see their mortgage rates rise from you know two percent circa to five or six percent i think those are probably the real pinch point in the housing market and it's you know pretty unfortunate like it's a it's a it's a it's a crappy way to start your 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 uh sort of household formation life you know in, in, in your 20s or early 30s and you finally get your first house and then this happens to you yeah, a lot of lot of headwinds, that's for sure. Uh, let's let's move on to immigration. Yeah, so as I said earlier, one of the reasons why I don't think we'll actually have a technical recession next year is purely this massive population growth. So um, I put a chart on the left here. Now this is all using annual data, so it's rolling annual. Um, so it doesn't actually show you how much it's spiked because when you measure an annual on an annual basis. Um, the border was still shut for the first part of this data uh, last year when we had no immigration. But e even so, um, in the June quarter, net overseas migration had already rebounded to 170,000, which is already 20,000 above what the budget had it at. And more high frequency uh, net visa arrival data to, I think it's September, um, had us at about 300,000 um, net visa arrivals. So, that's basically all your visa holders minus visitors. Like you, you don't count visitors because visitors are tourists, et cetera. And you can see those those two series track each other historically pretty well, although there was a bit of a weirdo, weird stuff happening over so 2017. But either way, um, and, and, and separate student visa data shows that we're now having record intake of student visas, um, which so international students are coming in at, at way more than their pre-pandemic level at the moment. So we're looking at this record immigration intake next year. And um, obviously the Albanese government's lifted the permanent market intake by 25,000 uh, to a record high 195,000. Um, and then, but the big, the big move is gonna be the temporary migrants that come in and that's gonna push up population growth massively. And, you know, I'm tipping and if we, if we have this discussion in a year's time, you can see how accurate I was, but I'm tipping about 2% population growth in 2023. Uh, okay, which is we'll, incredibly we'll high. That. Yeah, we'll yeah. So, that. so, yeah. <laughs> so, 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 to get two percent, you need about five hundred thousand people, or just over five hundred, five hundred twenty thousand to get two percent population growth. So we'll see. I mean, we this time next year, we're not going to know yet though, because the data is so bloody lagged. Like only we, we only got the June quarter data uh, last week. So if we have this conversation next year, it's going to be only going to be up to the June quarter, but we'll have a pretty good idea where it's going. I think. Um, but anyway, we'll see. Like you know, I'm tipping record immigration next year, and which which means ergo record population growth, and that's going to make it pretty hard a recession, just because obviously more people means more growth. But that's not what matters. It's everyone's slice of the pie that matters. Um, the the other big thing is it's it, it's it's going to be bad for the house for the labour market. So we've got a chart on the right here, which basically uh, shows the uh, growth in the labour force effectively, and the green chart shows what it would have been if we didn't have the negative immigration over the pandemic or the big the, the decline in immigration over the pandemic and the blue line shows the actual 
Now, it is catching up, but we're still about 270,000 workers less than we would have been had we had the pre-COVID immigration. And um, what this effectively means is it's one of the key reasons why Australia's unemployment rate's fallen so far. So because we had less migrant workers coming in, um, effectively the jobs growth went to locals already here rather than, you know, people who came from overseas. And um, Bill, Bill, Professor Bill Mitchell from the uh, Centre of Full Employment, he's like a, you know, a bit of a guru um, uh, professor of economics, um, University of Newcastle has estimated that if we had continued with our pre-COVID levels of immigration, Australia's unemployment rate would be about 5.2% currently, rather than the current 3.4% uh, that it is now. So what this means is that obviously if we're going to have this big rebound in immigration, well, then, then the labour supply is going to grow very quickly, which is going to push up unemployment, even other things equal. So we've got this situation where the RBA is tightening monetary policy very quickly. You've got consumer spending falling. Um, that alone is going to slow the economy to a crawl. At the same time, we're going to have a big rise in labour supply through immigration, which can only mean one thing. That means rising unemployment and also means lower wage growth, other things equal, because we're, uh, we're going to go from a very tight labour market to a much looser labour market uh, by this time next year. So um, it's another, another thing that sort of plays into this per capita recession name um, in that, you know, the economy is going to grow, but we're probably going to get a decent rise in unemployment and we're going to have negative per capita GDP growth. And, you know, opening the immigration floodgates at the same time as the economy is slowing through tighter monetary policy is probably not a very good idea. Um, it's probably actually, you know, it, it's probably a good idea with regards to inflation, except that it does put up a pressure on rents, which increases inflation. But from a sort of per capita living standards, economic point of view, it's, um, you know, it's not it, it, it's not the greatest policy you can do, but unfortunately that's sort of the direction we've gone into. Yeah, and, uh, and Leith, you said, uh, I, did, I did have a good read of your report, and uh, you said that the, you know, the COVID was, was an opportunity to sort of reset the, the economy towards more uh, productive growth, uh, but we've just sort of gone back to the same old policy as, uh, as the last lost decade and, and pre-COVID um, and that pre-COVID era, just mass immigration. Yeah, unfortunately, it's yeah, it's stupid. So that, that that's basically what we argued in last year's special report. It was so last year's one was all about okay, we're coming out of COVID. What should we do? And it was like uh, when I wrote that last year, I was like, I've got a very strong suspicion that they're going to go back to the same stupid policy they did in the previous ten decades that resulted in all these really bad outcomes. And I, I got into way more detail in last, like all the reasons why it's bad and um, what it means for productivity and living standards and um, uh, congestion and all this other stuff. So I got to know, So if you want to read about that stuff, like the economics around immigration, the last year's report's the one to read. This is just a more, you know, overview of the economy. But they should have basically used it as a, as a way to reset the economy and not to go back to this 15 years of mindless growth, which is what we did, which, to be honest with you, the, the community hates... So any any opinion poll on um, on big Australia immigration, so growing the population really fast for immigration is overwhelmingly negative. So most people hate it because they know why they they 
they've experienced it in the previous 15 years of the pandemic and they didn't like it. Like you got, you know, much greater congestion. Now you can only live in an apartment, whereas your parents lived in a house. Um, you're paying way more for, you got toll roads everywhere, whereas previously you didn't have to pay for them. Uh, all these sorts of stuff. So just, you know, basic sort of livability stuff. And unfortunately, you know, instead of pulling back and saying, okay, well, you know, let's just go back to the pre-2005 economic model, which is basically was the model in Australia for decades. Um, this government, the Albanese government, has unfortunately doubled down and it's it's going to the biggest, big Australia policy you can ever imagine. And unfortunately, our stupid opposition here has, um, when, when the Albanese government announced this during the Jobs and Skills Summit, um, Peter Dutton, who's the, the coalition opposition leader, said, oh, we need more. So it's like, you know, it um, doesn't matter what side, they're also on a unity ticket on this big Australian immigration. So I just think it's, you know, it's it's poor policy. It's kind of, it, it's about low quality growth just by growing the number of people. Uh, I call it dumb growth rather than trying to focus on, you know, things that actually make your living standards better, you know, focus on productivity and quality growth. Um, and that's basically, you know, unfortunately where the, where the federal government's choose, chosen to go. And, I, and you can see why, like all the lobby groups who pull the federal government's strings, whether that's the business lobby, the property lobby, or, or the education migration lobby, which is basically universities in the sort of tertiary sector, they all benefit from um, high immigration. So that's why they like it. And all the costs are obviously, that, so, so, so those groups privatise the gains and the costs are sort of socialised on everyone else, you know, through all the various ways that we pay for it. And um, unfortunately, they're, they're, they're loudest and they pull the government's strings. So um, that's why they've reverted back to this policy. And it's, you know, if you think the big Australia policy under the Rudd government in uh, 2008, um, so the Labor leader back then, the new prime minister at the time, uh, came out and said he was in support of a big Australia. And as soon as he did that, he almost got put, he, he lost his prime ministership because everyone went nuts at him. Well, the Albanese government's doing, uh, is going to make that look like child's play uh, yeah, with what they're doing with immigration. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's the unfortunate truth, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, well, I mean, you're telling it how it is, and uh, um, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure your your view resonates with lots of people. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it is yeah, what it is. Pretty much every opinion poll, Sam. Um, yeah, on the issue, I've never, you know, I've, yeah, pretty much every single opinion poll you'll ever see on this issue is overwhelmingly negative. And when they ask why, it's always for these reasons, just livability reasons, you know, housing affordability. See, so the ridiculous thing is, I mentioned before that you've got rents rising at double digit rates. We've got rental vacancy rates at the lowest level in history in Australia. So if you believe CoreLogic or SQM Research or, the, or you know, any of the private sector providers, the rental vacancy rate nationally is 1% at the moment. Now, what's going to happen when you bring in hundreds of thousands of extra people every year? Like, where are they, where are they going to live? <laughs> it's as simple as that. Like, we don't have enough homes for the existing population. So, um, you know, running this sort of mass immigration policy uh, and then pretending to care about housing affordability and, you know, supply is just bonkers. Um, you know, we, we don't have enough homes for the current population. Like, where are they meant to live in tents? Um, you're just going to make it worse. And 
you know, Sam, you live in Queensland. I mean, in in southeast Queensland. I mean, you, you, you know, you've probably seen it firsthand. The, you can't rent anywhere there. Um, Property yeah. is incredibly scarce, and and part of that's because we've obviously got all the southerners like me, uh, in in Melbourne and Sydney have all moved to Queensland. Well, it's the same when you doesn't matter where they come from. So Queensland's been smashed by migration north from Victoria and New South Wales, and that's created all these sorts of housing problems. Whereas, you know, if you're in Melbourne or Sydney, you're getting smashed from migration from overseas. So it's the same thing. It doesn't matter where people come from, but it's just if there is enough housing for the current population and you're going to continually run this big population policy, well, then you're going to create problems. And that's unfortunately what we've got here. And same goes for infrastructure and all these other things that we're short of. So it's um, yeah, it's yeah, a, it's, it's, just, it's, a, it's just a recipe for uh, for for bad outcomes, basically. Yeah, it's it's a recipe for stress, and you know all the all the opinion polls are saying they don't want it, but we've got it. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, Leith. Well, uh, thanks for that. We're going to move on to our question of the week now. Uh, so this is for viewers to have some discussion in the comment section over the coming days. Uh, so the question for the week is. What are the odds of a per capita recession in 2023? So feel free to post your thoughts and engage with us and some of the other viewers over the coming days. Um, so that pretty much wraps us up now, Leith. Uh, so have you got any any final thoughts you want to want to leave with the viewers um, today? Uh, just enjoy the break. Be safe. Um, you know, just uh, yeah, enjoy it. Like that's probably the first year. That we've actually last year, I think we we were open. And it was sort of free, although we had the Omicron stuff. But um, yeah, just enjoy yourselves and but don't don't enjoy yourselves too much. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, stay safe and uh, yeah, we'll 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 see you next year. Uh, it's been a good year. It's been a tough year, but uh, yeah, let's um, in, in, enjoy doing it all, uh, again all over again next year. Awesome, Lee. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for sharing all your insights. And we look forward to having you back again in 2023. Thanks, Sam. See you, everyone. Excellent. So we do welcome your feedback on the show, especially in regards to suggestions for future topics. If you do have any ideas, please drop it in the comments section below or send us an email at contact at neutraliswealth.com. Just a reminder, this is general advice and does not take into account your personal situation. If you do want to discuss your personal financial situation, please go to our website at nucleuswealth.com forward slash contact and you can book a call with myself. Don't forget to like the video now. And if you know of anyone that might get some value out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you can please share it with them. Also, if you'd like to see more of our previous episodes and content, head over to nucleuswealth.com forward slash content or subscribe on our homepage for our weekly Nucleus News and Investment Insights. Uh, we do put, put out a lot of articles and uh, videos in addition to this podcast, and we've recently released uh, Nucleus Wealth Rapid Insights, uh, which gives you uh, insights into what we're talking about, how we're formulating the portfolios, but in a, in a much uh, shorter version around the sort of 10 to 20 minute mark, depending on the episode. So uh, have a look at that on our YouTube channel as well. As well. Uh, you can also follow us on all major social media. Uh, so from myself, Leith, and the rest of the team at Nucleus Wealth, thanks for watching, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.